But wait, there's more. Hi, everybody. It's Terry O'Reilly here, and we're happy to announce something we've never offered before. It's our But Wait, There's More subscriber package. If you're a fan of Under the Influence, you'll get more than ever before. You'll get more bonus episodes like the live recording and audience Q&A we did recently at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, exclusive for subscribers only. You'll get more podcasts with additional stories. You'll get early access so you can listen to all of our new shows before anyone else. You'll get all of our episodes, including archives, ad-free. Tisk tisk. I won't judge. You'll be invited to Ask Me Anything sit-down chats with yours truly. You'll get first dibs on tickets for live events. You'll get big discounts on Under the Influence merchandise. And that's only the beginning, all for a few bucks a month. Just go to our show page on Apple Podcasts and tap Try Free to start your free seven-day trial. Membership has its privileges. Hmm, you should copyright that. From the Under the Influence digital box set, this episode is from Season 7, 2018. When Steve Martin began his stand-up career, 
he was playing in small clubs with tiny audiences. After a few TV appearances on The Tonight Show, he started to get some attention. In 1977, he released a live album called Let's Get Small. It was recorded at a comedy club in San Francisco. You guys are going to be on a record. Maybe, someday, not mine, of course. That album went on to sell a million and a half copies, reaching number 10 on the Billboard chart. Big numbers for a comedy album. With that success and some appearances on Saturday Night Live, the venues Steve Martin played started getting bigger and bigger. Then, in 1978, Martin released his second album called... The Wild and Crazy Girl! Not only would that album yield a hit single... It would also win the Grammy for Best Comedy Album of 1978, sell two and a half million copies, and hit number two on Billboard, becoming one of the biggest selling comedy albums in history. Well, excuse me! With that, the demand for Steve Martin exploded. He became one of the first stand-up comedians to play sold-out stadiums. He went from playing to 300 people to performing for over 40,000 in a single venue. He was booked in stadiums for two solid years. Steve Martin was the biggest concert comedian in show business. But when the stadium appearances started, he realized he had a problem he never had to contend with in comedy clubs. Specifically, nobody could see him on stage. Sure, the first 20 rows could see him, but the other 39,500 people couldn't. They could hear him, but they couldn't really see him. The problem was, it was just Steve Martin on a huge stage in a gigantic arena. He wasn't a band with stacks of amplifiers and special effects. He wasn't a hockey game, and there were no big screen TVs in stadiums yet. He was just a solo performer in a venue built for spectacles. As Forbes magazine said at the time, he was an ant on the stage. So Steve Martin had to figure out a way to be visible. That's when he started wearing white suits. In a dark stadium with just a spotlight, that white suit shone like a beacon. Look at any photo of Steve Martin during his stand-up years from 77 to 81, and he's always wearing a white three-piece suit. The press commented on how clever it was to wear a conservative three-piece suit while delivering absurd comedy. But that vest simply kept Martin's shirt from popping out of his pants. The white suit became a defining aspect of Steve Martin's act. But it wasn't just a quirk, and it wasn't just a gimmick. It was a smart solution to a big problem. Marketers find themselves staring down the barrel of a big problem, and they need a smart solution. How creative people solve those big, hairy problems is always fascinating. And in the stories you're about to hear, not one person or organization solved their problem by taking the usual route. Each one of them looked at the problem and chose to resolve it with a surprising solution. All it took was a wild and crazy idea. Zoom, zoom, zoom. 
Back in the 1990s, Bogota was considered one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Crime rates were through the roof and the city was all but blacklisted by tourists. When Antanas Mokus was elected mayor of Bogota in 1995, he was told the majority of the city's problems were too far gone to be solved. But Mokus was a big believer in creative problem-solving. He also believed humor was the most powerful tool at a politician's disposal. One of the biggest issues Colombia's capital faced at the time was that motorists weren't obeying traffic laws. And beyond that, the cops assigned to enforce those laws were corrupt, handing out tickets and pocketing the fines. Pedestrians were being killed. So Mokus came up with a plan. He replaced the cops with mimes. He pulled the corrupt cops off the streets and instead placed the mimes at traffic stops, pedestrian crossings, and other risky areas of the city. The purpose of the mimes was to call attention to the motorists and pedestrians disobeying the traffic laws. They were there to mock and shame them. They'd pretend to be hurt when a driver didn't follow pedestrian rights of way, or signal stop with wild and hilarious flourishes. The mimes would mimic jaywalkers and call pedestrians over to teach motorists the rules. They'd even follow and applaud citizens who are good Samaritans and encourage passers-by to do the same. Citizens were skeptical because the mimes weren't permitted to actually distribute traffic tickets. But Mokus stood by his plan. In a few short months, motorists following the rules rose from just 26% to 75%. And remarkably, pedestrian deaths dropped by more than half. And Mokus was eventually able to replace 2,000 corrupt cops with nationally appointed officers. As one of the mayor's staff noted, it wasn't that the mimes trained the drivers to obey the rules, but they trained pedestrians to know their rights. While the conventional thinking would be to increase police presence or impose stricter penalties on lawbreakers, Moku solved the problem by doing the opposite. As a result, he saved lives and put the law back in the driver's seat. When modern skyscrapers began to really scrape the sky in the 1930s, when they started to exceed 30 stories, the Otis Elevator Company discovered a growing problem. Elevator riders were becoming uneasy. People were increasingly nervous hurtling up and down the shafts in small, windowless boxes. Not only were the elevator gears noisy and the cables jerky, riders could feel the sway of the tall buildings the higher they went it was beginning to cause anxiety. It was a potential business problem for Otis. If people didn't want to be in elevators, companies wouldn't order elevators. So Otis consulted with psychologists for a solution. After much deliberation, their recommendation was to install music in elevators. 
Beginning in 1936, Otis teamed up with music marketing company Muzak to pipe calming background music into elevators in the Palmolive Building, a 37-story tower in Chicago. The idea worked. The music distracted people and calmed their jittery nerves. As a matter of fact, a 1948 Otis elevator print ad stated that the cares of business are now wafted away on the notes of a lilting melody. So, if you've ever wondered where the term elevator music comes from, now you know. It was created to solve the problem of elevator anxiety. And by the way, in 1986, rocker Ted Nugent made a $10 million offer to buy Muzak just so he could shut it down. His offer was declined. Solving business problems is always tricky. Companies never like having to solve product problems in public. They much prefer to solve them internally. In his remarkable book titled Creativity, Inc., Pixar president Ed Catmull says that his company creates short films to solve problems. So if the company needs to get better at a certain aspect of animation, it will create a short film to experiment. These short films have no commercial value and cannot be justified by cost, but they send a message to the staff that the company cares about artistry. The stipulation for the short film, titled Jerry's Game, for example, was that it had to include a human character, because at that time, Pixar needed to get better at rendering people. So animators are allowed to shoot short films on the company's dime as long as the films solve a problem. As Ed Catmull says, better to have train wrecks with miniature trains than real ones. I'm Chiquita Banana and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you Chiquita Bananas once solved a business problem with a jingle. See if you can figure out what problem when you listen to the lyrics. You can put them in a pie, any way you want to eat them. It's impossible to beat them, but bananas like the climate of the very, very tropical equator. So you should never put bananas in the refrigerator. Chiquita created that catchy jingle in the 1940s to tell people bananas prefer warm temperatures. The jingle said that when bananas were flecked with brown, they were at their best. It was a strategy to solve the self-serving problem of people not buying enough bananas. Because putting bananas in the fridge caused them to last too long. And when they lasted too long, sales went down. During the Second World War, the U.S. government realized it had a growing problem back home. It had begun shipping most of the nation's domestic meat supply to Europe to feed the troops. As Charles Duhigg explains in his excellent book, The Power of Habit, that meant the availability of steaks and pork chops back home began to dwindle. 
Officials became worried that a lengthy war would leave the nation starved of protein. It was a worrisome problem with no end in sight. As former President Herbert Hoover said at the time, meats are just as much munitions in this war as tanks and airplanes. So the Department of Defense approached leading sociologists and psychologists and gave them an assignment. Figure out how to convince the public to eat organ meats, like protein-rich livers, hearts, kidney, brains, stomachs, and intestines. Everything that was left over after all the steaks and roast beef were sent overseas. You have to understand what a challenge that was. A middle-class woman in 1940 would sooner starve than put a kidney on the table. Nobody, but nobody, wanted to eat internal organs. The first step was to identify the cultural barriers that discouraged people from eating organ meat. So, 200 studies were done, and they all pointed to the same finding. In order to change people's diets, the exotic must be made familiar. And to achieve that, you must camouflage it in everyday recipes. To convince the public to eat livers and kidneys, housewives had to know how to make those foods look, taste, and smell as similar as possible to what their families expected to see on the dinner table. The army had noticed this too. When it started serving fresh cabbage to troops in 1943, it was rejected. But when the cabbage was chopped up and boiled until it looked like every other vegetable on the soldier's tray, the troops ate it without complaint. So the government started sending housewives recipe mailers, telling them how to prepare something called steak and kidney pie. Butchers explained how to slip liver into meatloaf. Soup recipes were created that contained lots of vegetables and a few organ meats bobbing around. Again, the solution to the problem was to make the exotic familiar. The result was remarkable. Families back home stayed healthy, troops were fed meat, and a few years after the war ended, organ meats had been fully integrated into household diets. By 1955, the use of organ meats was up over 50%. Kidney had become a staple at dinner. Liver was actually reserved for special occasions. Dining patterns had shifted to such a degree that organ meats not only became familiar grocery items, but emblems of comfort. It was a powerful, simple solution to a very difficult situation. Maybe that's why Bill Gates prefers to give difficult problems to the laziest employee. And we'll be right back after this message. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're enjoying this episode, why not dip into our archives? Available wherever you download your pods. Go to terryoreilly.ca for a master episode list. Bill Gates has an interesting philosophy when it comes to solving difficult problems. He puts his company's laziest smart person on the job. Why does he do that? Because the lazy smart person will find the easiest way of solving the problem. And the simplest solution is always the best one. It's like when President Ronald Reagan was dealing with the Cold War. He often wanted to deliver messages to foreign countries, but setting up diplomatic meetings took a long time because it was a complicated process, and back-channel messages couldn't always be trusted. So his staff figured out a simple solution in those pre-Twitter days. Reagan just started holding press conferences in the Rose Garden. Wasn't it nice of us to get you all out in the spring weather here today? For taking your questions, I want to offer one or two remarks concerning... Why did that work? Because CNN would cover Rose Garden press conferences. And the Reagan administration knew all governments watched CNN. It was the simplest and quickest way to get a message out to world leaders. Problem solved. Farmers in the country of Botswana in Africa were experiencing an ongoing problem. Lions were killing their cows. It was a business problem because the farmers depended on their cattle for income. The immediate solution was to kill the lions that were preying on their cows. But that posed a problem too, as the African lion is a vulnerable species, with numbers dropping from over 100,000 in the 1990s to under 40,000 today. But farmers had no non-lethal ways to protect their herds. Then a conservation biologist came up with a novel solution. He painted eyes on the cow's rumps. Why did he do that? Because lions are ambush hunters. They creep up on their prey, then jump on them unseen. But when lions see the eyes on the cow's posterior, they think their prey has spotted them, and they quietly move on. 
The biologist came up with the idea while watching a lion stalk an impala one day. When the impala spotted the lion, the lion gave up the hunt. So, the biologist teamed up with the farmers for a 10-week trial. They stamped eyes on one-third of the herd. When the cattle returned each night, they did a head count to see how many survived. Only three cows were killed by lions in that period. Those three had no eyes painted on their rumps. All the painted cows survived. It was a remarkable solution to a very difficult problem. And like all powerful solutions, it was born of observation. The problem was broken down into movable pieces. Lions stalk cattle, lions prefer surprise attacks, but if a prey spots a lion, a lion will walk away. The vastly increased cattle survival rates had a dramatic impact on the livelihoods of the farmers. And, as an added bonus, no lions had to be killed. The Beatles kept having a problem in their early pre-fame days. When they were on the same bill as several other bands at dance halls, they all found themselves covering the same songs. The Beatles would be sitting in their dressing room, listening to the band before them perform their entire set list. For the Beatles, it was a business problem. If they sounded like every other band, they would lose bookings. Lennon and McCartney had to figure out a solution. So, they started writing their own songs. I'd say that worked out pretty good for them. Eric Idle was a good friend of the Beatles. He would even go on to parody the Fab Four with the Ruddles mockumentary All You Need Is Cash and with a second film called Can't Buy Me Lunch. Idle, of course, was a member of the groundbreaking comedy troupe Monty Python. Their influence on comedy has been compared to the Beatles' influence on music. Python first hit the airwaves on the BBC in 1969 with a sketch comedy show called Monty Python's Flying Circus. Later, they released feature films like Life of Brian and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. But in 2008, Monty Python weren't so optimistic because they were suffering from massive digital piracy. People were posting clips of their movies and 45 TV shows on YouTube for free, robbing them of their royalties. So the Pythons came up with a marketing plan to launch their own YouTube channel and issued the following statement. Quote, For three years, you YouTubers have been ripping us off taking tens of thousands of our videos and putting them on YouTube. Now, the tables are turned. It's time for us to take matters into our own hands. We know who you are, we know where you live, and we could come after you in ways too horrible to tell. But, being the extraordinarily nice chaps we are, we've figured a better way to get our own back. We've launched our own Monty Python channel on YouTube. No more of those crap quality videos you've been posting. We're giving you the real thing, high quality videos delivered straight from our vault. What's more, we're taking our own most viewed clips and uploading brand new high quality versions. And what's even more, we're letting you see absolutely everything for free. So there. But we want something in return. 
none of your driveling, mindless comments. Instead, we want you to click on the links, buy our movies and TV shows, and soften our pain and disgust for being ripped off all these years. Unquote. And guess what? Their plan worked. The Python channel garnered over 2 million views. All the newly released videos had a click-to-buy option. So, when people saw the newly uploaded high-quality clips, they could buy the whole TV show or movie of what they had just watched. Monty Python also allowed people to post their own clips as long as they included the click-to-buy button as well. Within just three months, movie sales increased by a staggering 23,000%. And their DVDs climbed to number two on Amazon's Movies and TV bestsellers list. People who hadn't seen Monty Python films for years felt nostalgic and were reminded of their love for the characters. Parents introduced Monty Python to their kids, inheriting a whole new generation of viewers. Plus, YouTube paid all the bandwidth and storage costs. Python simultaneously stuck it to the digital pirates while rewarding their fans. And they made a ton of money by giving their content away for free. The key was to simply say... And now for something completely different. While successful animation studios, leading banana growers and effective mayors seem to have nothing in common, they do share one trait. The ability to solve complicated business problems with remarkable ingenuity. When we watch a Pixar film, we all marvel at the sublime artistry of their animation. But even Pixar had to solve numerous problems to get that good. And they do it by experimenting with short films that you can watch on YouTube. Jerry's Game, by the way, went on to win an Oscar for Best Animated Short Film. Even their problem-solving is entertaining. When a huge city like Bogota kept experiencing a staggering number of pedestrian deaths, who would think that implementing mimes could possibly make a difference? Then pedestrian deaths dropped by 50%. When Otis proudly developed elevator systems that created deep anxiety, the solution wasn't cables or gears. It was music. As simple as that may seem today, it must have been radical in the 1930s. But look how long that solution lasted. Then there's Monty Python. To combat low-quality online piracy, they gave away high-quality videos for free. And sales of their DVDs went up 23,000%. The ability to look at a problem in a three-dimensional way, to break it down into movable pieces, then to push past the resistance to conventional solutions is a very powerful business tool. All you need is a wild and crazy idea when you're under the influence. I'm Terry O'Reilly. Under the Influence was recorded in the Airstream Mobile Recording Studio. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. Sound engineer, Keith Ullman. Theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. Co-writer, Sidney O'Reilly. Follow us on Facebook for some fun bonus content. See you next week.
This episode brought to you by Chiquita Bananas. Out of me, out of me, that's not sight no more. By the way, feel free to peruse the Under the Influence shop. We've got some fun t-shirts that will fit you to a T. Go to terryoreilly.ca slash shop. Every purchase supports the show, and we appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.